If you're enjoying this podcast and it's helping your screenwriting, I'd like to invite you to dive even deeper into our program. We have incredible classes that you can access from anywhere in the world, live in our special online format. You can also join us in our studio in New York City or as part of our ProTrack mentorship program, where we pair you one-on-one with a professional writer who will mentor you every week or every other week through each draft of your screenplay. If you'd like to learn more or to subscribe to this podcast, you can visit our website, writeyourscreenplay.com. Hello, I'm Jacob Kruger, and this is the Write Your Screenplay podcast. On this podcast, rather than reviewing movies like critics, two thumbs up, two thumbs down, loved it or hated it, we're going to look at movies in terms of what we can learn from them as screenwriters. We're going to look at good movies and bad movies, movies that we loved and movies that we hated. And last week, we looked at the engine of succession. We looked at the way each episode was put together and the way that all these characters come together in each episode to create the season. So today, rather than thinking globally, we're going to think locally. Rather than looking at the big structure of the piece, we're going to look at one little teeny tiny scene from episode 7. And the scene starts, if you want to watch it, it starts around 27 minutes and 7 seconds in. And it ends at 28 minutes and 20 seconds. So we're talking about a scene that's a total of 1 minute and 13 seconds long. What's really cool about this scene is it features all secondary characters. Secondary characters who are not only secondary characters for the audience, but who are actually secondary characters within the social circles of their own family. These are the boyfriends and girlfriends and wives and fiancés, Marsha, Willa, and Tom. Marsha is the wife of Logan Roy, the Brian Cox character, the King Lear character in this piece, the Rupert Murdoch character, the great patriarch. And Marsha is a highly intelligent, complicated woman, and it's pretty clear that she loves her husband. But it's not entirely clear if she's a person who can be trusted or not. She is a person who seems to have her own agenda. And it's not clear how much of that agenda is about protecting the husband and how much of that agenda is about solidifying her own power. Willa is Conroy's, well, let's just call her a girlfriend. Actually, she's his paid escort who he is madly in love with, who is putting up with his affection and his desperate desire for her to play the role of his wife and move in with him in order to further her career as an actress and playwright. Then you have Tom, who we discussed in detail last week, who is the trickster character, the fiancé and soon-to-be husband of Shivroy, the scheming and politically savvy daughter of Logan Roy. Tom is not the greatest person in the world. Tom is the worst possible version of new money. Tom is a person who is obsessed with the power and ridiculousness of being rich. Tom is a guy who is small in the family, so throws around his power in the places where he has it. But Tom is also deeply in love with Shiv and deeply unaware that she might not be a person that he can trust. And what's happened in this episode is that the entire Roy family has 
convened for therapy. This meeting has been called by Logan, who's basically realized that if he doesn't do something, his share prices are going to fall and that he needs to do something to create some kind of positive photo op that suggests that the family is coming back together after a big falling out between him and Kendall that was way too public. So Logan's called for this reconciliation. With the exception of Kendall, all the children have come willingly, a bit curious and surprised and maybe even hopeful that dad actually wants therapy. And of course, that's not what's really happening. What's really happening is dad wants a photo op. Even Kendall Roy shows up. And that's a big deal because Logan's just placed an article through his media sources suggesting that Kendall Roy, who in the previous episode failed a vote of no confidence on his dad, claiming that Kendall was back on drugs. That article has not only cost him his faith in his father, it's also cost him any chance of reconnecting with the one woman he loves, his ex-wife, who now thinks he's back on drugs even though he isn't. But even Kendall Roy decides to show up, even though his plan to reconcile with his family doesn't actually turn out doing that because he ends up at a bar instead where soon he's drinking and getting high with some locals. But everyone's descended on Connor Roy's beautiful mansion in the desert for this big moment of reconciliation that's not going to happen. And the secondary characters, Marsha, Willa, and Tom, have been kicked out. Now, Willa is used to this. Everybody plays status games with Willa. Willa is used to getting kicked out of family pictures, kicked out of family meetings. But this time, it's not just Willa that's been kicked out. This time, Marsha and Tom have been kicked out as well. And the family bloodline is being clearly enforced because who's in that room and who's out of that room really matters. And so this is why we're going to look not at what's happening in the room where the big drama is happening, but what's happening outside of the room. And what we're going to use that to talk about is a concept that's extremely important to all screenwriters. And that concept is subtext. Part of what makes Succession such a powerful series, part of what makes the performances so incredible is the use of subtext by the writers. There's a tremendous amount of subtext to almost every line in the piece, which raises the question, what the hell is subtext? What does it actually do? How do you actually create it? Because for a lot of writers, subtext is just a place of anxiety, wondering, Does my dialogue have enough subtext in it? Without having actually a clear understanding of what subtext is and what subtext does. So let's define subtext for a moment. Subtext happens when there's a slight difference between the primary objective of the character, what the character is doing on the surface, and the secondary objective of the character, what the character is doing under the surface. So sometimes it's a conscious disconnect where the character is consciously talking about one thing in order to imply another. Sometimes this is a subconscious disconnect where the character truly believes they are coming for one thing truly believe they're acting on one intention where they're actually acting on another. You've all done this. If you've ever broken up with somebody and decided that you have to go back and get closure and pick up your favorite pair of socks so that you can finally have closure, you are consciously telling yourself, primary objective, I'm going to go get closure. And what you're not telling yourself is that secondary objective, I'm going to try to get back together with my ex or I'm going to try to sleep with my ex. So some 
sometimes the gap between primary and secondary objective is very conscious. Sometimes it's under the surface and the character's not even aware of the secondary objective. They're only aware of the primary. But what happens is when you can feel that secondary objective bubbling up underneath the primary objective, when you can feel that extra layer of pressure pushing up against what the character's doing on the surface, that's subtext. And what's really cool when you start to think about subtext in this way, you don't have to think about subtext like a technique. Instead, you can use your intuition to guide your writing of subtext. You can simply connect to the primary and secondary objective of the character. You can connect to what are they doing on the surface or what are they talking about on the surface? And then you can feel the pressure between that and what's bubbling up for them underneath the surface. And there are lots of different things that can bubble up. We already talked about objectives, right? I want to get closure primary. I want to get back together with my ex secondary. But there are other kinds of secondary objectives as well. There are emotional needs. I want to get closure and get my socks back, primary objective. I want to feel love, secondary objective. I want justice, secondary objective. So sometimes it's a disconnect between a tangible goal and a primal core need driving under the surface. And in order to get in touch with that, all you have to do is get in touch with that primal core need in yourself to feel those two things happening at the same time as you write the character and just to look for the moment where that one thing bursts through the surface. The third kind of difference between primary and secondary objective that can create subtext is something called status games. And status games is something I'd love to discuss a lot further in a future podcast. It's also something that I cover in depth in a lot of my Write Your Screenplay classes. Status games are about the dynamics between people as people try to raise or lower their own and each other's status in order to feel better about themselves. And status games happen all the time. They happen with every relationship, with every character. And I'm not going to go into all the different kinds of status game relationships because that's a multiple hour lecture. But if you think about your relationships with your friends, sometimes you raise your friend's status in order to raise your own. I'll give you an example of this. Hey, look, man, you know that I know fashion. And dude, that shirt looks awesome. And sometimes you raise your status in order to lower somebody else's status. Dude, you know that I know fashion. And that shirt, give me a break. And sometimes you lower your status in order to raise somebody's status. Dude, I don't know a damn thing about fashion, but that shirt is freaking awesome. And sometimes you lower your status in order to raise somebody's status. Dude, I don't know anything about fashion, but that shirt, give me a break. So there are lots of different kinds of subtext. There's subtext where it is primary objective versus secondary objective, where you have a conscious goal and an unconscious goal or a conscious goal and a second conscious goal that are in tension with each other. Sometimes it's the tension between a primary objective, the conscious goal, and the emotional need underneath. And sometimes it's the pressure between what's happening on the surface, which is a little bit of a fashion critique, and what's happening under the surface, which is raising or lowering your own or somebody else's status. And there's a lot more we could talk about with status. Status is one of the most complicated and exciting things we get to do as writers because it's one of the things that makes our writing feel real. Because the other level of status is that everyone has a status in the room that changes depending on who you're in the 
room with. And everyone also has a status in themselves that is pretty much constant. So some people feel high status and are low status. And sometimes people feel low status and are high status. And there are many, many, many permutations of this. So now that we have a broad overview of how these different elements work, you can understand that all subtext really is, is a tension between what's happening on the surface and what's happening underneath. And that if you want to write great subtext, it's not about getting technically good, although there are technical tricks that we can teach you. It's really about connecting to that pressure in yourself to feel both the wave and the undertow in your own emotions as you write, to feel the two things happening at the same time with the characters. So what's happened to all three of these characters is all three of their statuses have been lowered. All three of these characters have found themselves exiled to the outside while the real stuff happens inside. Structurally, the real stuff that the audience is interested in, on a secondary structure level, we want to know what's happening with Logan and Connor and Roman and Kendall and Shiv. But also, more importantly, on a primary structural level, those characters, Marsha and Willa, and Tom want to be in that room. They want to be as important as the people that they've married or are marrying or are connected to romantically. And the circumstances have clearly proven to them that they are not. So all of these three characters find themselves in a place where their status is demoted. And so all three of these characters are trying to feel better about themselves. So now we're gonna play a little clip from that scene so you can listen to it. And I'm gonna do a deep breakdown of it. Do what you do. What, the theater? Yes, and what you do for money. Uh-huh. Uh, well, you know, I like my life and, you know, kind of just go with the flow. So, yeah, I think I'll just, you know, slide more over into producing or writing or directing. I knew a woman in Paris. She did what you do. She was very intelligent. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and do you want children? Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe one day. Don't wait. That's all I will say. No biological clock starts to ticking. Uh -huh. You can always freeze. Uh, it's a way of putting off life. Well, I'd like shift to freeze. Embryos, not eggs. A little bit of me in the bank. Thought about that? Ah, so much advice. Wow. You know my friend from Paris who was your way? She actually was murdered. It was nothing to do with her being a prostitute. It was to do with a restaurant that went poof. So Marsha's first line. So Marsha looks over at Willa, the prostitute, and Marsha's feeling crappy about herself. She doesn't like being outside, sitting next to a prostitute and a future husband who she thinks is below her stepdaughter. She doesn't like being exiled from her husband's side. So what Marsha does is begin a status game with Willa. And you can feel from the very first line the pressure between what's happening on the surface and what's happening underneath. Marsha says to Willa, tell me, do you think you'll always do what you do? And Willa, of course, is a little taken aback. She can't imagine that Marsha would be talking to her about being a prostitute right now. So Willa tries to redirect. She says, what, with theater? And Marsha clarifies, 
because Marsha, in fact, does want to point out that Will is a prostitute right now. Because Marsha wants to lower Willa's status in order to feel better about herself. So the primary objective is get Willa to admit she's a prostitute. The secondary objective is to increase her own status by lowering Willa's. So poor Willa says, what, with theater? And Marsha says, yes. And what you do for money, (laughs) which is not what Willa wants to hear. And Willa says, uh, well, you know, I kind of like my life and, you know, kind of just go with the flow. So, yeah, I think I'll just, you know, slide right over into producing or writing or directing. There's a primary objective once again. The primary objective for Willa is to deflect this conversation away from her prostitution. The primary objective is to refocus the conversation and to brand herself as the writer, director, producer of theater, the artist, rather than as a prostitute. So that's what's happening on the primary level. And on the secondary level, what she's trying to do is increase her status in order to feel better about herself. She's trying to increase her status in the eyes of Marsha and Tom. And even though Tom isn't saying anything, Tom is so important in this scene because Tom is the audience. Tom is the person in front of whom this drama is playing out, in front of whom Willa can be raised or lowered in status. So you have Marsha trying to knock Willa's status down, and you got Willa trying to raise her status up. But that's not what either of these characters are thinking. Marsha's thinking, I am going to make her admit she's a prostitute. And Willa's thinking, I'm going to try to prove that I am an aspiring artist. And then in fact, I'm moving up to the big time. You know, I'm sliding right over into producing or writing or directing. I'm going to be more of an artist than I am today. So having failed in her first attempt to get Willa to admit she's a prostitute so that Marsha can feel better about herself, so that Marsha can punish her for being the person who she has to sit outside exiled next to, so that Marsha can punish her for feeling like her own status has been diminished, Marsha tries a different tactic. Now, Marsha's primary objective is the same. She wants to get Willa to admit that she's a prostitute so that Willa can feel worse about herself and be punished, so that Marsha can have justice, so that Marsha can raise her status and feel better about herself. But watch this new tack she takes. She says, I knew a woman in Paris. She did what you do. She was very intelligent. So isn't this a wonderful little rope-a-dope move here? So you can feel that secondary objective still underneath, but she's trying a new technique, which is instead of being mean, she's going to be nice. She is going to suck Willa in and gain her confidence. So at first, when she says, I knew a woman in Paris, she did what you do, Willa, the actor, the character is thinking, oh my God, is she going to talk about prostitution or writing? But once she says she was very intelligent, Willa relaxes. She says, oh, thank you. Oh my God. Willa starts to think, I might actually be connecting here. Maybe it worked. Maybe this woman's actually seeing me as an artist. Maybe she wasn't actually trying to call me out as a prostitute at all. Maybe she doesn't actually know. Maybe she just suspects. And Willa's whole emotion changes because now there is a primary objective, which is to connect, to feel the praise of a mother figure to actually feel connected to the family, primary objective, secondary objective, protect myself because I don't know if this woman's got a right hook coming for me. And Marsha has a new primary objective, which is I want to get to know her. But the same secondary objective, which is to force her to admit she's a prostitute to make her feel worse about herself so I can feel better. So Marsha continues on this tactic since it's working. She says, and do you want children? 
Willa thinks, oh my God. Now, this is a little bit complicated because she goes, um, I don't know, um, maybe one day because there's a part of her going like, oh my God, is she actually accepting me as a potential future daughter-in-law? Is she actually welcoming me into the family? So there's a primary objective, which is to be accepted into this family. And there's a secondary objective, which is to protect herself. So Marcia sucks her in a little deeper. Don't wait. That's all I will say. And for one moment, it starts to seem like maybe this is her chance to actually be accepted. Maybe this is her chance to actually be part of the family. Maybe being exiled out here is actually going to start a connection. Because after all, here's this mother figure giving her advice. So, of course, Tom jumps in. Tom says, the old biological clock starts ticking. You could always freeze. Primary objective, change the subject. Tom's been watching this uncomfortable conversation. And his primary objective is to change the conversation from Will is a prostitute to let's talk about eggs. Let's talk about childhood. Marsha is not going to let that happen. So primary objective shifts. Primary objective is to shut Tom up. And secondary objective is to put Tom in his place, to raise her status by lowering Tom's. It's a way of putting off life. Let's put the kibosh on that idea. So Tom, who has also been exiled and isn't feeling great about himself, takes this moment to try to reassert his point of view. Well, I'd like Shiv to freeze. Embryos, not eggs. Little bit of me in the bank. Thought about that? So having failed to get what he wants from Marsha, having his status diminished, he tries to primary objective, help. Secondary objective, raise his status by giving some advice to Willa. At which point Willa goes, ah, so much advice. Wow. Because she is in fact feeling overwhelmed because she is feeling both the text and the subtext, the primary and the secondary objective. She is feeling on the one hand, this family that might be accepting her in and might be welcoming her. And at the same time, she's feeling the pressure that at any moment, one of these people could turn on her and hurt her. She's feeling in herself, the primary objective of connecting and the secondary objective of protecting. And just when she feels most overwhelmed, Marsha comes back. Primary objective, to return to her story about her friend from Paris. Secondary objective, to put Willa in her place and get the justice she wanted from the very beginning, to lower Willa's status and raise her status. And watch how she sucks her in. You know, my friend from Paris, who was your way, she actually was murdered. It was nothing to do with her being a prostitute. It was with a restaurant that went poof. And you could see what she does here. She's been struggling this whole scene to get Willa to admit the truth. She's tried a bunch of different tactics, and when it doesn't work, she goes in for the kill. If Willa's not going to admit it, she's going to say it herself. You can feel at that moment the completion, right? Now it is out in the open. Willa is not a part of this family. Willa is not being welcomed with open arms. Willa is being diminished and threatened. And you can feel at that moment the power dynamic rise. Marsha has the upper hand over both of these characters. And that's what brings the scene to a completion. Now, in lesser hands, this is a boring scene. This is a scene where a character tells a story about a character that we don't even know, who's not even in the episode, where a bunch of characters discuss embryos versus eggs, and where the big bombshell is a bombshell that we already know, which is everybody knows that Willa is a prostitute. All three of these people know it. Willa knows it. Tom knows it. Marsha knows it. Everybody in the family knows it. So on the surface, in the text, there is no bombshell. There is no structure. There's nothing going on but a bunch of talk. 
But the pressure between what's happening on the surface and what's happening underneath, the want, the emotional need, and the status games that are happening between these characters give a level of fireworks to this little tiny moment that makes what's happening on the outside feel as important as what's happening on the inside. Now, here's what's very important. You can't do this by thinking about it. You can't create this kind of structure by carefully planning the primary and secondary objectives. If you do that, your writing is going to be less like life. You do it purely consciously, purely by planning. What's going to happen is your writing is going to feel technical because that's not how this happens in real life. The truth is, in real life, you have subtext all the time. You have pressure between what you're doing on the surface and what you're going for underneath. You're pursuing emotional needs that you're not even aware of all the time. You're pursuing objectives that don't match with your conscious objectives all the time. We always have these multiple layers happening in us, and we're not usually planning them, just like Marsha's not fully planning them. Marsha doesn't know at the end of the story that she's going to hit her with the zinger. Marsha knows that she's going to keep on maneuvering until she gets a way to get that zinger in. So if you think about subtext purely as a technique, and Again, there are a million techniques that you can learn about subtext and that I'd be delighted to teach you. But if you think about subtext purely as technique, what you're going to end up with is something that doesn't reflect what happens in the real world. But if you think of subtext as something you do all the time, if you start to notice the subtext in you and the different layers of texture in your primary and secondary objective, the different levels of texture between what you think you want and what you're actually doing between what you're actually saying and what's bubbling under the surface. And if you learn to connect to the feeling under the surface at the same time the character is pursuing what they want on the surface, if you learn to feel both of those wants at the same time as you write, to dip and dodge just like Marsha and Tom and Willa until you find your place to strike, until the moment opens up where the secondary objective can actually be met. If you allow that to happen, then the rest of the work is just craft. The rest of the work is just working out of that intuitive model that you've created, that intuitive rough draft, which is going to be dripping with subtext and then compressing and honing and shaping the lines in order to bring that subtext to the surface. I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. For a complete transcript, please visit our website, writeyourscreenplay.com slash podcast.